This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the We Art Tacoma podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of We Art Tacoma. This is your host, Eric Hanberg. I'm producer Doug. Hi, producer Doug. Hello. Uh, Today's guest is Abby E. Murray, the uh, Tacoma Poet Laureate. And uh, she tells us what that means, but she also, I think, um, she just she was just a, a ball to listen to. Um, she she has a mouth on her, so if you have uh, kids in the in the room, this is definitely an earmuffs episode. Um, yeah, and actually, uh, her stories about teaching undoc- poetry to undocumented youth, I thought, were were really moving. This uh, this episode really covers the whole gamut. You'll so, want cinnamon rolls. <laughs> listen up. All right, we are here for another episode of We Art Tacoma, and uh, my guest today is Abby E. Murray. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You are most recently, among many other things, the Poet Laureate of Tacoma. Congratulations. Thank you very much. What does that mean? Um, (laughs) uh, To be honest, I feel like uh, I've been seeing it as sort of a, a tag that follows me um, on the work that I I had planned to do anyway. Oh, okay. So um, I think it's a really wonderful title and it's recognition from the city, which I really appreciate. Um, but I, I've thought about it and I'm like, what am I doing differently that's, you know, more laureate do, do you than usual? Do, does does the mayor call you up and say like we're opening a new building? We need a poem stat. Oh no! But I walked by her the other day yeah. um, at the community center, and I was like, oh, the mayor. <laughs> she didn't. She didn't know who I was. <laughs> but but like, does does Coma ask for poems every so often? Like, is that a thing that um, happens? I am. I did get asked to read at the City of Destiny Awards. Cool. Which they probably wouldn't have asked me if I wasn't the laureate. Um, and I got to present awards to a teen art and writing contest, and they were yeah. really brilliant. And I probably wouldn't have gotten that opportunity. But as far as community engagement goes, I'm— It's up to you. Yeah, I'm doing readings, and I'm still doing free workshops, and I've been doing that for years. So, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So some things haven't really changed. I'm still running around a lot, and, you know, that's just kind of how I roll, I guess. Yeah. 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 I think one of the things that is nice about it is that it says this is valued in the community. Yeah. Like this is something that that we care about. We we care about having a, a you know, a mirror held up to us if you will with with poetry. Yeah. I think that's really nice. Yeah, it is really nice. And I think um as a woman, as a teacher, as a mom, I'm not really sure yet what to do with recognition because I'm in some ways I'm not really used to it. Like as a poet, I mean, you know, people don't stop you. Oh my God, I have to tell you though, I got stopped today for the first time. I was at Red Elm and I was getting coffee. Yeah. And the barista was like, Aren't you the poet laureate? And I 
died. I went. I was like, I need to go text my mom right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's like Um, the best thing ever. Yeah, it was really sweet. Um, So, but I'm not, you know, as a poet, you're not really, you know, people don't stop you on the street and say, (laughs) you know, thanks for being socially aware or, you know, thanks, thanks for making us face our ugliness. And, you know, no one like, you know, is banging down your door to do that. So like, um, yeah, so the recognition is new and it's really appreciated. So so let's talk about some of the things that came before that brought you to this point. Sure. Um, so one of the things that I think is interesting is, is that you have a – you're in the world of the military mm-hmm. and yet a poet, and often those things go together. You have a journal, if I have uh, – Collateral, mm-hmm. a literary journal publishing work concerned with the impact of violent conflict and military service beyond the combat zone. Yeah. How does poetry work with that world? Um, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, I guess. Um, yeah. I've been asked that question a lot and I feel like I'm still kind of working out answers because I try and recheck in with myself. Yeah. Um, the worlds don't go together naturally um, often. I feel like um, – so I get the hard part out of the way. In the military, um, you know, symbolism is big and um, language is big in the military. But it it does – it has a very different purpose than it does in poetry. Um, I feel like language in the military accomplishes, whereas language in – poetry and in writing, um, it acknowledges and it observes and it sees um, objectively. It doesn't discriminate. It sees everything, your ugliness, your beauty, your honor, your deceit, like it sees everything. Um, And language is used almost like a weapon um, in military, I think. Um, It can obfuscate as well, you know, like even the title of your journal with collateral, you know, collateral yeah. damage and the way it's hiding what is actually meant by that. Right. Yeah. Well, and I see like, um, you know, language is used often by the military to motivate and encourage. Like, this is why you should, you know, stick with the group right. and, you know, the um, the group mentality and, you know, there is no I. And I see the value in that and I see the survival skill, especially in that in a combat Sure. Zone, I can assume. I've never been in combat. I'm not in the military. Um, Sometimes people ask me, like, I'm in the military, and I'm like, no, I'm just kind of floating around it, sort of. I mean, it's orbit, but I'm not there. I feel like a lot there. everyone in Tacoma is, like, one degree of separation right? from the military in some yeah. way. I mean, it's just such a big part of our yeah. of our geography here. Yeah. I was so excited when my husband got stationed at JBLM. Hmm. Um, we moved here from upstate New York, and we were re- really far from the nearest place would be Fort Drum, okay. and it was really far. It was, like, a long-ass drive way north, and the— the um, base here is much closer to where we are. And so yeah. I feel like everyone is, you know, either in the military or one degree disconnected from it. And it's like, that's what I want to talk about. So it works out really well. So so what, what made you start a literary journal about these questions? Um, I felt that, you know, as a military spouse and I was writing often about um, I don't feel like I write about my husband's PTSD or combat experience or 
military lifestyle, but I do write about the impact it has on me um, and my family. And as a spouse writing that, I noticed that there wasn't as much room for that um, and the, you know, those lasting ripple effects of military service. But there was increasing space for the battle story, for the combat story. And we're increasing the space that we have for veterans and for um, service members who write. And that's great. But I didn't see the same thing happening, increasing space for those indirectly impacted by the military. And so that was very interesting to me. And I have been an editor for different journals. And um, when I came here to Tacoma, um, it was an idea that had been floated at um, University of Washington. And I was like, I want to pick that up and I want to build it. Yeah. So we did. That's really great. Yeah. I'm going to put some words in your mouth here, but it it seems like you have a belief that poetry can transform or help people because you see, you mentioned like PTSD or you mentioned some of these things that, that poetry might serve the cause of in some way where people can talk about it in a mm-hmm. new way. And the thing that really struck me in your in your bio on your website is is that you do poetry workshops at a detention center for detained undocumented youth. And yeah. I was just really struck by that. Would you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so uh, it was about a year ago. There was an article in the News Tribune um, about an escape at the Selma Carson home. And um, I That's had, in Fife? If it's I, in Fife, yeah. yeah, yeah. I had never heard of it. I had neither um, into that article. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was reading it on my back step because it was nice outside and, you know, I'm sitting in my yard. I'm free. I could have gotten up and ran across the street if I wanted to. And I was reading this article. Um, and this is kind of when suddenly we were paying attention to families being separated at the border yeah. in particular. And I felt really sorry for myself because I was like, I wish I was a lawyer. I wish I spoke Spanish. I wish I could drop everything and fly to the border and say, what do you need? How can I help? And I can't. I would just fly to the border and be in someone's way. And so, um, but I did feel like um, I want to, I slowed down and asked myself, okay, well, what can you do? You don't, you're not fluent in Spanish. You're not a lawyer. You can't drop everything in your life and leave. Um, And I was just telling some people this last weekend. There are, like, two things that I can do really, really well. I can parallel park, like, (laughs) anything, anywhere. I can parallel park a fucking bus on this street on 9th. Um, And I can teach poetry workshops. Like, no matter where I am, if I'm stuck in an elevator, if I'm in a hallway somewhere, a classroom, a lecture hall, doesn't matter. I can teach a poetry workshop because poetry is fun. And, like, I... It comes naturally. It's yeah. kind of nice. Yeah, that's great. Um, or it has so far. I don't want to jinx it or anything, but like, um, but I feel like I do those things well. And I was like, okay, well, you know, they probably don't need anyone to parallel park, but I'm I guessing. can. <laughs> but I did email uh, uh, the name that was mentioned in the article and said, um, I'm a poetry instructor. I would love to come and teach poetry workshops. And I think at first they were kind of, um, they told me they were being pretty careful about who they were letting in. Totally makes sense. Yeah. It took some time and some uh, convincing and working with them. Fortunately, I had a background in working with literary nonprofits in New York. Mm. And so 
I was also getting pretty good at just walking into random places and saying, can I teach poetry here? And they'd be like, mm, I guess. And um, <laughs> so uh, That's I That's the third thing that you're good at. Right. <laughs> walking into random places and saying, can I teach here? <laughs> um, and uh, so we went in in October and November. And we went in for an extra one in December because we just couldn't leave well enough alone. And um, I collected four um, awesome people who could interpret while I was teaching. Mm. Um, and would help me work one-on-one with um, the boys at the home. And we did that. And then we went back in February and March. Um, And I'm collecting their work into a book now, but it is still in process. Tell me what that experience was like uh, working with those kids. Um, It was really – I'm just picturing, like, the ground underneath me shaking, like – it rattled everything loose. Um, it was really, I hesitate to say it was hard or difficult or challenging because sure. uh, I got to walk out at the end of every workshop. I got to get in my car and go get a coffee if I wanted. Like, um, yeah. I could check the internet whenever I wanted. I could watch a movie if I wanted. I could do anything. And so, um, so I don't want to say it was difficult and it was hard, but I don't use I I think people overstate and overuse the word amazed, but I feel like it did make a shift in my life. It changed the way that I approach teaching, and it it, it changed the way I felt about poetry, um, because even though. I have my doctorate. I am still really suspicious of poetry. I think a lot of people who are in the you know higher leagues, I feel like um, I'm suspicious of them, and I don't find it a very welcoming business, um, even though it claims to be. Um, and so to see poetry connecting people who might not otherwise be connected and may survive because of that connection was life-changing. So... That changed something what, for me. What did, um, if, if you can share or want to share, what did some of uh, the kids write about? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is a lot of them wrote about their moms. They missed their moms. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the first thing I came away with from leaving the center every time is that, like, these are boys. They're teenagers. And teenagers, teenage boys... Like I, I challenge you to find a teenage a room full of teenage boys, and make a fart joke and have them not laugh. Like a fart joke is a fart joke, and like they're gonna goof off. It's universal. <laughs> it is kind of universal, and they're you know they're adolescents, and like they are going through the growing pains that come with that period in your life, um, but they're going through it in these circumstances that you know, are so austere, like they have no access to, you know, people can't touch them. I I just think of like when I was a teenager, if no one could have put their hand on my arm and just said, hey, man, it's going to be okay. Was, just to clarify, you you mean that very literally, people yes. can't touch them. Yes. Yeah. That was a rule. It of was the... actually a big deal. Like I was told um, one time one of my interpreters was standing a little too close um, to one of the boys, and I was pulled aside and said to talk to this interpreter because if they even bump us with their arm, that's a big deal. So it's 
they are not allowed to touch anyone and no one is allowed to touch them. Um, I'm guessing this is to prevent any kind of questions around abuse or physical violence or things like that. It's just a, a strict yeah. no touching. Yes. But at the same time, yeah. the downsides of that are massive as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think just as a a human being, it's hard to see someone suffering. And um, I mean, I'm not like a big hugger. Like I don't really like touching people a whole lot. But like when I see someone in pain, I want to hug them or I want to, you know, give them an elbow yeah. nudge and say like, hey, man, yeah. it's going to be OK, I think. And and you can't do that. And that's like that's got to be excruciating to see something that you're losing over and over um, and to not feel what you're losing. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of them wrote about missing their moms um, and their grandparents. They had relationships with their grandparents. Um, They wrote often about the wind and the sea, um, flowers, natural imagery. Things that they couldn't find inside the home, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the boys wrote a very beautiful poem about wanting to be a bird so that he could fly over Honduras and he could fly over the Pacific. Um, And I think one of the lines was that he wanted to meet the summer and the fall um, as a bird in the sky. And I was like, that's nice. This is beautiful. Yeah. Um, And I hope that when he wrote it, he felt like for a half second that he was a bird and he was flying over Honduras and he was meeting summer and fall. And um, poetry can do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. So that was really, it has made um, a big impact on my relationship with poetry and my relationship with people. Mm hmm. Yeah. What what pulled you to poetry for the first time? What got you into interested in it? Um, I think I've thought about this a little bit, and I think it was I grew up with a single mom and five sisters, so there were six girls and my mom. Um, so competition was pretty fierce. Um, everyone has those roles in their family that they sort of fall into naturally, um, and I was kind of the. Um, the weirdo, I guess. Uh, when I was really little, I was kind of a bully. Um, and then I was kind of the weirdo. I think in high school, I was voted most unique. I don't, I think, I don't know if that's a compliment to me or an insult to my high school, but <laughs> it's like, I don't know, it's kind of weird. So, um, but uh, everything that I did that I loved in my life, someone else was already doing in my family. So I'm a violinist, but my other sister was a violinist, and she was much more talented than I was. Um, I liked sports, um, baseball, but one of my other sisters was already doing this, and she was much more talented than I was. Um, and poetry was probably the first thing that I tried that no one else touched. Um, and so that made me feel like, okay, I can play here. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I can kind of spread out. I can make myself comfortable, um, you know, and it's, you know, better than meth, I guess. So it's like, you know, small town poems. That's pretty safe. (laughs) So (laughs) I kind of stuck with that. Um, I wrote terrible poetry in high school. I actually kept it um, on purpose um, 
because it was all just, I was just screaming as a teenager, as teenagers right. really should be doing. Right. Um, they're not paying attention if they're not screaming. <laughs> um, and uh, then I went to uh, college. I went to Seattle University supposedly to study theater, but then I ended up um, studying writing mm-hmm. instead. And it kind of just stuck with me. I feel like, I don't want to say I feel safe in writing because it's pretty savage and it's pretty brutal, but... Um, I do feel like um, I have a I have a seat saved for me there every time I get there. Who's saving the seat? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But I feel like you know it's kind of that feeling of like when you get on the bus and it's totally full, and then you see the one seat that's that's open. You're like, yes, I got it. <laughs> so I feel like you know poetry is like. There's a place for the you. one bus that has an open seat and everything else. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm going to have to stand over here. I'm going to have to lean against the door. I'm going to get bumped into all the time. <laughs> Whereas in poetry, it's like, you know, there's always a seat for me. So, yeah. 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 We're going to take a break. Okay. And then when we come back, I want to learn more about uh, some of your teaching, some of your workshops, and your baking. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> This episode of the We Art Tacoma podcast was generously supported by the Tacoma Arts Commission. What is that, you ask? The Arts Commission is a volunteer group of citizens appointed by City Council who support the development of our community through public art, arts programming, and funding of arts organizations, artists, and, apparently, podcasts about the arts. This year, through the Arts Projects Fund, the Arts Commission funded 32 Tacoma organizations in the fields of dance, craft, film, music, visual, literary, and cultural arts. My thanks to the Tacoma Arts Commission for funding this podcast and the many awesome programs, artists, and organizations around the city. (laughs) Welcome back. Uh, We are here, sorry, uh, with Abby E. Murray. And I want to hear about some of the work that you do uh, teaching high school students poetry because I understand that you teach at Soda. Yes, I do. I just finished. Today was my last class Mm. of my first semester teaching high school. Um, And it was really fun. Um, I've had uh, soda, Soda graduates before in my classes when I've taught at university. But this was my first time teaching high school, and I was pretty nervous. Um... I think I'm still a bit too much of a hard ass for high school, but I, but I had a lot of fun. I think in creative writing. Um, okay, so I was I was told once um, when I realized that I wanted to be a teacher, and I started, you know, thinking about that seriously. I wish I remembered who told me that your students are not you. Um, your students are not you at that age. Hmm. Um, so, and that was important, and that stuck in my head. So it must have been someone I trusted. Um, and so I've kept that in mind that my students are not me at that age. However, um, I think a lot of my teaching is shaped by um, wanting what I didn't get when I was a teenager. Sure. That um, makes sense. Yeah. Because I feel like I spent a lot of time as a teenager um, – really angry and I was screaming a lot and didn't feel heard and um you know I had a couple of teachers who who would hear me and they I think carried me through yeah um 
but it wasn't really until I could get out on my own um, and scream and be accountable for my screaming that I started learning how to scream better, um, how to scream more effectively. So um, I still do teach, I think, a little bit of what I wish I'd had. Um, and I wish, uh, when I was in high school, I wished that I'd had um, more opportunity to play with writing. Um, and I think this has increased over the years um, where it's, you know, testing is really important. Um, and there's virtually no play in testing or in memorization for testing. Um, so we play a lot. Yeah. Um, and I'm really open to feedback and suggestions. I I want them to hate some of the stuff that I bring in and tell me that. Um, and fortunately, they did because I told them, you know, I, I really like to argue. I um, I teach um, argumentation in military and academic writing for the University of Washington for the uh, the um, dudes, the colonels who are on fellowship from the War College in Pennsylvania. Okay, they come. There's two of them that come every year, and I teach them argumentation and like you know. Does, does argumentation mean how to argue? Just to make sure yeah, I understand the term. Um, like kind of persuasive research writing, um, and sort of making military and academic writing. Uh, jive together, hmm. sort of. Um, and so, but I was pretty open about that. And so, like, I felt kind of good by the end of the semester they were able to do that. But um, it's the teenagers who are screaming that I think I recognize the most. Um, and I have a lot of faith in them. Yeah. <laughs> I have high expectations. <laughs> so, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. If, uh, let's say, an adult were interested in learning from you, when or where might they be able to uh, take a class or workshop with you? Yeah. So I've been teaching them kind of around Pierce County since I got here. Um, and this summer, I'm going to be teaching workshops. They're free, open to the public. Um, they're at the Eastside Community Center, the bright, shiny new one. Yep. It's beautiful. It is. Um and uh, there's no fee or registration. You just show up, and I bring poems, and uh, we read the poems. I do believe poetry is meant to be heard, so we read the poems aloud. We listen to them. Um, we talk about them, and then I bring prompts as well. And you can use one of the prompts, or you can use something that's rolling around in your head already. Um, because I also, as a writer, what I wish I'd had was more time where no one was allowed to disturb me, and I could mm. just write. Um, and then I give you, you know, 15 minutes just to play. And then you can share your work if you want. If you don't want, it's not a big deal. So in that way, it's kind of – I consider them pretty laid back. Um, and I usually bake something. Um, I feel like you write better with food all the time. I I mean, I love eating. So, uh, yeah, that's kind yeah. of how those are set up. Those start – it's four Wednesdays. Starting on July 10th, okay, from 5 to 6 p.m. at the Eastside Community Center, and then for people with access to Post um, on JBLM, I'm going to be teaching for Thursdays starting the next day, July 11th, from 5 to 6 in the Red Cross Building, um, and that's just open to anyone with access to Post. So if you are a family member, if you're a veteran, if you're a service member. If you're a spouse, if you're a good friend who's on post with someone, I don't care. Come and, you know, talk about poems and write poems. Yeah. And 
Yeah. So that's the next like upcoming workshops that people can come to. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm so glad this happens to people other than me. Because usually I'm in front of a classroom. Cut, cut that silence out for me, would you? I'm usually in front of a classroom and I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> if, if someone is um, listening to this right now and wants to write a poem, what's a good prompt for them? Oh, well, I just looked up and I thought, write about Christmas lights. We're in a studio that has uh, Christmas lights all around us. It's very nice. It is really nice. And I feel like I have a lot of stories with Christmas lights and different relationships to Christmas lights. If I could, I would keep Christmas shit up all year. Like, I start listening to Well, this is 2019 is the first year that I've just not stopped listening to Christmas music. Oh, you're still going. Yeah, I'm just still going. Oh, wow. Um. But, I mean, seriously, can you fucking blame me? I mean, seriously, look around. So, like, I've—so <laughs> I'm listening to that still. My daughter is five, and unfortunately, I feel like, you know, she's walked right into it. She loves Christmas. Sure. And, um, but, like, I always look at houses that keep their Christmas lights on up all year with a sense of hope. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But, yeah, right about uh, Christmas lights. Yeah. Um, and— yeah, I could go on. I feel sure. like. Well, let me ask you another question. If someone, um, what's a what's a good poem that that has always stuck with you over the years that you would recommend someone go find and just a really great poem you think you want to call out? Oh, there's so many. I know there's a lot of poems yeah. in the world. Uh, there is a poem. Well, the first one that came to my mind is because it's most more recently that I taught it was How to Triumph Like a Girl hmm. by Ada Limon. Um, it's just a perfect poem. There's nothing about it that I'm like, there's no point in which I'm lost or kicked out or ineligible or just everything about it. I was like, yes, 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 please. Um, so that's a really good one. Um and there's also uh, James Tate's book, Return to the City of White Donkeys, was probably one of the first books of poems that I felt like I recognized what was hanging on the walls and mm. like I felt like I could sit down. Um, and there's a poem in there. I think it's called The Greater Battle. And it's about a dude who uh, recognizes a shark in an aquarium. And so he's asked to leave. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, it's really good. Yeah, but yeah, go look that one up. It's kind of cool. Okay, yeah. that's great. Thank you for the recommendations. Yeah, um, I will give a shout out to Emily Dickinson, who mm. I really like, and I like, um, and of course, I'm not thinking of the first line. Uh, I'm thinking of the blue to blue because that's the the part I always like. The brain, the brain is wider than the sky. Oh, it's a really nice one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like her style. Yeah, yeah. All the dashes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I get the sense that you have uh, dabbled in a lot of different kinds of arts. You mentioned violin. You mentioned theater. Mm -hmm. um, but you also bake a lot. Do you want to talk about your baking? Because your bio, again, says when you're too anxious to write, you bake. Yes. I find myself baking very late at night a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um Today, or well, yesterday I made it, but today I brought my students um, these kind of cookie bars. And they're, I was explaining because they said, Well, what are they? 
as I was handing them out, I was like, okay, so what you do is <laughs> you food process butter and flour and sugar, and you make a short crust. And then I was like, then you put a half stick of butter, you put a whole stick of butter in a pan and you brown it. And as soon as it starts to brown, you take it off the heat and you add brown sugar and real sugar, and then you let it cool. And then you whisk in the eggs and the vanilla and some salt and some coconut and some oats. And then at the very last second, you mix in white and dark chocolate chips and then you like because that shit's gonna melt real quick and then you like put it in the crust and then you bake it for 20 minutes it is amazing it sounds amazing it is really amazing i wish i had some to share with you but (laughs) high school students and uh so i really like to bake because i feel like there's an it's kind of like some people will say oh i like to do math every now and then because like there's a you know a certain answer um whereas for me nothing in math is certain um, math just doesn't show up for me, but like the baking does, like there's a result, you know, and I still get to share like, right. so. Yeah, yeah. I, I have gotten into, I think it was in 2006, the New York times published a no need bread recipe. Oh really? Um, and I got really interested in it. And then I found the artisan bread in five minutes a day book, which I've really loved. Five minutes a day? It's a total lie. The the title's a total lie. Um, And then it's like work off the calories in five hours a day. (laughs) It's it's basically it's you you make the you make the dough and you and it doesn't take that. It's more than five minutes, but Mm -hmm. like and then you can the amount of work that it takes on the next day to make like whatever you're making it, mm-hmm. it again it doesn't take that long yeah and so that's i think where they get the 5 minute a day thing but nice. i've i've been making i'll make baguettes or Yum. cinnamon rolls the cinnamon rolls take way more than 5 minutes oh a day my God, for yeah. sure but they are they were really great yeah cinnamon rolls so i i i've really enjoyed baking i like what you said like that there's a thing at the end and it's mm-hmm. like i have this thing yeah um I like that my hands are like covered with flour and yeah. and I can't be on my phone. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there's some some nice things about it. And, yeah. and I like the sharing of it too. Yeah. I feel like I'm still doing something even though I really like to bake when I'm stuck in my writing um, or I'm, you know, I would just kind of switch art mediums yeah. when they got frustrating. Yeah. And because baking, you have to keep going. It's not like you can just give up and leave something in the oven. Sure. Um, so I kind of like that. And I've yeah. noticed too, since I've had my daughter, like she cannot leave me alone when I'm in the house trying to write. She just can't. Like she just cannot. <laughs> but for some reason when I'm baking, she's happy to like parallel play and just mm. kind of play quietly. Um, That's nice. So I, yeah, I feel like that encourages me to do that even more. So New York Times recipes I have a lot of good luck with. America's Test Kitchen, their cinnamon rolls, just saying. They are super time-intensive, but they're brilliant. Yeah. My my cinnamon rolls, I've been taking the – this the the dough from from the book, but then I didn't Mm -hmm. like their icing, so I got it Uh. from like – I don't know. It's just some online thing where it's like all the butter and all the sugar and – yeah. Yeah. Pick and choose. Exactly. Mix, yeah. and, mix and match. Yes. If people are interested in finding you on the interwebs, where can they find you? Um, they can find me on my website, which I'm paying more attention to these days, so that's nice. Uh, it's abbyemurray.com, um, and you can go to Collateral, um, our website, collateraljournal.com, um, and you can read our newest issue. It just came out in May. Cool. Um, and it's pretty dynamite. And 
It's got some really kick-ass artists in there. So, um, yeah, you can find me there. And you can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm on there time to time. Okay. So, yeah. And then the next workshop is July 10th, 5 o'clock, Eastside Community Center. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you you for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. It was cool. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. In second grade, I went to Catholic school, and I was pulled to the office by my ear for saying a parent volunteer was reading Curious George to me. And I said, I, like, stopped them in the middle of the story, and I was like, I don't know who the fuck would want a pet monkey anyway. This is Channel 253.